We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You may have noticed there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. So that can you see your coworkers cracking open at your 9 a.m. meeting? It isn't beer. It's Liquid Death. So why is this water called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Drinking water from a freezing cold can is actually way more refreshing than a bottle. Trust me. Plus, it is way better for the environment and the economy. They're still, they're sparkling, mango chainsaw, buried alive, and my personal favorite, severed lime. And they are now armed with three grams of agave nectar for even more brutal flavor. So I'm going to enjoy this can of lime, and you can go get Liquid Death at your local Target, Walmart, or 7-Eleven. Or you can find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Before we get started today, just want to thank you really quick for all the kind comments on the Aaron Rodgers video from yesterday. That's not always an easy discussion. As I mentioned, that can be a very divisive topic, but the comments were overwhelmingly positive, a lot of likes, and I just really appreciate that because, again, that's not always an easy discussion to have. So really appreciate you guys and just for being here, supporting me, following, subscribing, etc. Again, means a lot every single day. So thanks so much for that. Let's get into today's uh, main topic, but before we get there, I do want to talk about a couple of the key transactions from the Packers on Wednesday. First of all, we had Jonathan Abram, uh, former first-round pick of the Raiders. Safety, Packers pick him up off of waivers, has familiarity with Rich Bisaccia, 
has not exactly played safety well. Pro Football Focus has basically had really, really bad grades on him uh, through the course of his career. Doesn't always mean everything. And sometimes a change of scenery can do wonders for players. I think uh, I've seen a lot of different theories and thoughts with bringing Jonathan Abram to Green Bay. I've seen some people say, well, listen back to what Joe Barry said last week. Joe Barry said they think that they could play Darnell Savage and have him be a really good, I think even said like a great slot corner, but they don't have a safety to come in and be that player who can play full-time safety. Now with Eric Stokes going down with an injury, you could easily put the puzzle pieces together to say, okay, well, now you've got Jonathan Abram to play safety alongside Adrian Amos, and you can now put your two outside corners as Jair Alexander and Razul Douglas, and Darnell Savage fits in the slot. That that could legitimately work. And I do think there's a possibility that Green Bay at some point tries a formation like that, whether it's Jonathan Abram, whether it's a Rudy Ford. I do think, you know, maybe going with uh, another safety rather than Keyshawn Nixon is within the realm of possibility. I think they could also have two different formations, one way where they go more corner heavy, meaning Keyshawn Nixon is in and Darnell Savage moves back to safety. And one where you do three safeties instead of three corners where Savage is in the slot and you go with a Ford or a Jonathan Abram. But remember here, Jonathan Abram, at safety has been an adventure at best, at least as he was a member of the Raiders. I don't think they bring him in and immediately just slot him in as the starting safety so that Darnell Savage can go on the slot. And personally, if they were going to put Savage in the slot, I would much rather have Rudy Ford based on what he's put on tape so far this season, which kind of, you know, surprisingly, shockingly has been really good. Uh, I know it's minimum snaps, but it's been impressive when Rudy Ford's been in there. I think what this is more likely is a special team signing to begin with, with a player that had first round upside as a safety. I think he could be used a little bit in that hybrid linebacker safety role. We've seen Adrian Amos drop into the box as that, you know, in that role in the past. Maybe they keep Amos back at safety and put Abram in that hybrid linebacker safety role, kind of used in that previous Raven Green role. I think there's some different things that they could do, but I would be hesitant to jump to the conclusion that Abram's going to come in and just all of a sudden have a significant role in this defense. Is it possible? Absolutely. It definitely could happen. I just would be surprised if it happens sooner rather than later. And even to an extent of maybe if it happens at all, he's going to have to come in, you know, sort of ingrain himself in this defense. Green Bay is going to have to figure out what he does well. Joe Barry is going to have to, you know, kind of figure out how the pieces fit with Eric Stokes being out, Jonathan Abram coming on the team. So it's going to be a bit of a wait and see. I think maybe the interesting thing that gets lost in this a little bit is that Abram, is going to make over a million dollars for the remainder of this season. So you've only got eight games left. This is not a vet minimum claim. In fact, he also has 284000 basically in guaranteed money for the rest of this season. So this is a legitimate like this year signing. And then more importantly, he's an unrestricted free agent this offseason. So it's not like he has a year left on his deal or he's a restricted free agent if he plays really well. He's an unrestricted guy. So they are paying him and claiming him for this season and paying a guy that has struggled to probably be a special teams player when your team is three games below 500 and you're, you have some now money guaranteed in this player. And he's probably, you know, with the, the contract that he's on just for this year, that seems like a bit of a luxury. And it would be, first of all, the, the, the million dollars here, for the most part, it's like, it's just a, a small number in the fraction of things on the salary cap. But I think sometimes it really gets lost 
of how these little contracts, these little things here and there really add up over the course of a season. Every time you elevate a player from the practice squad, that's about $30,000 that you lose from the salary cap. And if the salary cap was just for this season and you didn't get to carry over money into future seasons, who cares, right? I don't think we care if Green Bay has an extra $30,000 in their bank account. If you, you know, it's not like, you know, you as a fan get anything more out of that. But the fact that they could carry that over into future seasons, that allows, you know, that, that kind of wants you to be, have them be a little bit more frugal when you're probably not competing this season. So a little bit interesting that they decided to give a bigger contract to a player by claiming him on a season that is probably a lost season already. Is it a ton of money? Is it an exorbitant amount? No, they can easily swallow it, but it's still a little bit interesting nonetheless. Probably not something I would have done. I would have been very intrigued if he cleared waivers and then you could bring him in as a you know vet minimum player for the remainder of the season. That would have made, I think, a lot of sense. Claiming him at that cost, even though it's not exorbitant, it's certainly a little bit interesting, but hopefully he's a good player and can help Green Bay for the remainder of this year. Other news and notes, Rashawn Gary officially on IR, simply a procedural move at this point. He was not going to play the remainder of the season. It is officially now over as he goes on IR. Uh, they signed Jeff Cotton to the practice squad, wide receiver, and Tipa Naliai, uh, they opened up his practice window. He was on IR, and now he will be able to practice with the team, and they'll have three weeks in order to activate him. Green Bay could desperately use some depth at edge with Rashawn Gary going out, so maybe Tipa will be ready to go this week already, and they could activate him this week, uh, but Green Bay is going to have to make some decisions there on how they want to fill out that linebacker position. More likely, Ladarius Hamilton this week to go along with Jonathan Garvin, Kingsley and Igbari and Preston Smith, but Tipa could get his name in the conversation if for, uh, somehow he is ready to go this week. And then we have our beautiful, lovely, wonderful injury report. So this is just going to be me reading from a laundry list of Packer injuries from Wednesday's participation report. David Bakhtiari, knee, did not practice. Chris Barnes, concussion, did not practice. Devondre Campbell, knee, did not practice. Mason Crosby, back, limited practice. Romeo Dobbs, ankle, DNP. Razul Douglas, limited. Rashawn Gary, DNP. Shamar John Charles, DNP. Elton Jenkins, DNP. Aaron Jones, limited. Alan Lazard, limited. Aaron Rodgers, DNP. John Runyon Jr., limited. Preston Smith, limited. Eric Stokes, DNP. Sammy Watkins, DNP. And hey, why not some good news after all of that? Christian Watson, full participant. There we go. Of all of those, Christian Watson's the one that is actually a full participant. Was not a concussion. Matt LaFleur went over that again. So huge news there, I guess, that he'll probably be, well, he will be able to play this week. But man, Bakhtiari, Barnes, Campbell, Crosby, Douglas, Dobbs, Gary, Shamar Jean-Charles, Jenkins, Jones, Lazard, Rogers, Runyon, Smith, Stokes, Watkins. Whew. Green Bay is banged up. And I tweeted this out as well. Not like it would have mattered in the scheme of things. This is just not a good enough football team this season to be a competitor at the end of the year. But man, not taking the bye week after London, or at least not getting a bye week a few weeks after London, uh, just ended up being an absolute nightmare because Green Bay is so banged up. They're coming off, they're now in the midst of a five game losing streak. They need to regroup so bad. They needed to regroup about two, three weeks ago. They've traveled to five stadiums in five weeks, and now uh, they they finally got you know some you know a home game, and it's against the Dallas Cowboys. And so it's just, and then they finally get another home game, but it's on a short week. This is an exhausted, tired team 
who desperately needs a buy. They are massively injured. And like I said, not that it probably would have mattered in the entire scheme of things based on where this team is at, but man, now they have four weeks left before they have a buy. The, the season is likely to be well, well over at that point, the way things are trending right now. So just a ridiculous injury report for the Packers who uh, seemingly the injuries are just piling up week by week at this point. All right, main topic time. My main topic today is draft and develop. Something that Packer fans are you know, basically well aware of, know the philosophy, have heard over and over since really the time of, of Ron Wolf. Then it took a little bit of a hiatus with Mike Sherman and then came back in a very, in probably the most draft and develop way possible under Ted Thompson and still exists today under Brian Gutekunst. And my take on that is in 2022, draft and develop is dead. And not only is it dead, but it may have cost Green Bay an opportunity to really sort of go all in and draft players that were ready to play right away when they really needed them in, 20, uh, in 2019, 2020, and 2021, when those were teams that were ready to compete for potential championships in that moment. So let's go over the Packers' current draft philosophy right now. And it should be noted, it is incredibly important that you have some sort of philosophy. If your philosophy is sort of all over the place or the idea of like, hey, just draft good players, that's not a philosophy. You can't sort of pick and choose. You want to have something that you're going to do as an organization that's going to be an overarching philosophy. It's not to say that you can't go outside of it, but hopefully you're honing in on and narrowing down a list of players that you think you're going to have the best odds of hitting on, and then you're, you're somehow formulating that and getting to the bottom line and hopefully drafting those players and having success with that philosophy. But it's very important that you have some philosophy heading into the draft. And sometimes that can be the Rams philosophy of F them picks, and it doesn't matter. You don't even want the picks. You just want to trade them for good players. Sometimes it can be the Patriots philosophy of, hey, we're just going to draft players that we think are better than the players that we have on the roster right now. It can be the Packers, Ted Thompson philosophy of, you know, basically best player available and we'll figure out the rest later. And there's a lot of nuances inside of that, outside of that. And there's a million different directions that you can go in. But it, I do believe it is important that you have some philosophy. And what Green Bay's philosophy is right now is still draft and develop, but they have a very, very strong philosophy within that. If you've heard, I had Kent Lee Platty on the happy hour last Friday. If you're not familiar with Kent, he runs a basically a metric every single year that shows the most athletic players at any given position, not only in that draft, but like basically over the course of the history of the NFL draft. It's called relative athletic score or RAS score. And it shows the players who have the highest level of athleticism and the players in general that have the best athleticism or like the players that are performing at the highest of levels in the NFL often have height, weight, speed, agility. Like we hear height, weight, speed all the time in this, you know, scouting circles or when, you know, when you hear it on a game when like they want, well, what do we want? We want height, weight, speed, right? Add agility on top of that or change of direction, but height, weight, speed, agility, change of direction. Those are the big ones. And these are the, like, usually if you look at the best of the best of the best outside of quarterback, cause it's a little bit different, but it's players that have incredible athletic scores, meaning they're usually big, physical, fast, agile. And 
what the RAS score does is it basically measures that and gives it a, a number. And the higher the number, the more athletic that player is. And then it compares them to other players at the same position. Green Bay does not use RAS scores. Let's be clear. But it is noteworthy that Green Bay consistently has one of, the, one of if not the highest draft score on Kent Lee Platy's rankings every year for how much they value athletes. Green Bay values athletes immensely in the draft. And I'm sure most of you know that by now, but they are looking for these height, weight, speed, agility players who just test through the roof and can come in and hopefully be these ridiculous NFL players because they have incredible attributes. On top of that, I believe, I can't necessarily prove this, but I believe that Brian Gutekunst is a little bit of a gambler when it comes to the first round. What I mean by that is what you're ultimately trying to do in the draft is what? Find good players, right? That sounds great. But really what you want to do is to find and develop all pro players, the players that are actually going to change your franchise. Listen, there were a lot of good players on the 2010 Green Bay Packers team, but the players that really, you know, sort of changed the dynamic of that team Aaron Rodgers was clearly a generational player. Charles Woodson, Nick Collins, like yeah, Clay Matthews, uh, we could go on, but like those are four of the clear ones, right? Collins, Matthews, Woodson, Rodgers. If you don't have those high, high, high-end players, it's really difficult to win a Super Bowl. The Rams last year, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey in Cooper Cup, right? three prime examples of just blue chip caliber players that are going to get your team to and win a Super Bowl. So you're not just trying to get good players in the draft. You need to hit some home runs. And what I believe Brian Gutekinds does, first of all, is he loves highly athletic players. We've been through that. But I think in the first round, he's willing to take home run swings, knowing that if he strikes out, it's going to sting a little bit but it's going to be worth it if he hits home runs along the way. This is, you know, this is the launch angle of analytics of Major League Baseball of drafting philosophy. And it seems to be that he does it basically in the first round. If you look at the players that he's drafted in the first round from Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, Jordan Love, uh, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, um, all of these players, Eric Stokes, these are pretty high-risk, high-reward players. Jair Alexander, undersized, and maybe couldn't make it as an NFL corner because of his size, but had everything else in spades that you could ask for. Rashawn Gary didn't have the production in college, had some injury issues with his shoulders. There were a couple other question marks and red flags, but man, insane athlete, ability to get after the quarterback. Teams usually double teamed him to take him out of the game. Insane work ethic, high risk, high reward. Jordan Love goes without saying, right? Extremely high risk. If it pays off, extremely high reward. And then you've got Eric Stokes, played at Georgia, high-end speed. If you look at just his pure cover skills at Georgia, needed a lot of work, but height, weight, speed, and like playing at University of Georgia, a lot to like there, right? Darnell Savage, Another player who undersized at safety, but flew around like a missile, seemed like he could cover, seemed like he could tackle. Some risk reward variants within that as well. 
Quay Walker, same thing, barely played at Georgia compared to almost every other first round pick. I mean, minimal snaps in comparison to what you would normally see in a first round pick, but height, weight, speed, athleticism, et cetera, like just popped off the charts. Same thing with Devontae Wyatt. There were some questions with Wyatt, even some off the field questions, but athletically and what he could do as a gifted player, like you, they, they just don't make many 300 plus pounders with the agility, strength, and speed of a Devontae Wyatt. These were all high risk, high reward picks. And you could argue that even if Stokes and Quay and Love and um, Wyatt, even if all those guys strike out Savage, that they got you know Rashawn Gary and Jair Alexander with those home run swings might in and of itself be worth it because you've got a blue chip edge rusher and maybe the best corner in football when he's going right and just best cover corner in football. Like those are two huge pieces to a potential championship team. Now you need to hit on more of that at some point. It's not enough to just hit Gary and Alexander, but he is going big game hunting in the first round and trying to hit home runs. And it was basically, if you think of, if, if you're familiar with the Bucks at all, this is the John Hammond philosophy. You're the Milwaukee Bucks. You're picking in like the 13th pick every single year. You're what you're trying to do. You know you're not going to get at the top of the lottery. You know you're not going to get free agents in. You're never going to have the talent to make a big trade or swing a big trade for a big time player. You have to hit a home run somehow in the middle of the draft. So what do you do? You just take the highest upside player every single year and you hope that at some point it pays off. And sometimes you got to get a Joe Alexander wrong and a Brandon Jennings semi wrong and a Ejian Leon wrong to hit on a Giannis Antetokounmpo. Because if that pays off, holy crap, it can pay off in a major way. So strike or like kind of like a base hit, strikeout, strikeout, biggest home run in the history of the NBA draft. That's what they basically ended up with through that stretch. So that's, I believe, in my opinion, what the philosophy is in the first round. After that, they're going after these high-end athletes. And then what they're trying to do is marry analytics and scouting. This is a genius idea. And I love the idea overall. You've got a scouting staff of Brian Gutekunst, who's been a longtime scout, Milt Hendrickson, and a plethora of other really good scouts within the organization that are going to scout these players for pure football traits and football talent. Now, what they're also doing is they're saying, hey, we're looking at all the best players in the league, and almost all of them are testing through the roof to some capacity. They are high-end athletes. So what we're trying to do is we're going to narrow down this list of super high-end athletes. And it's not to say we're not going to go outside of it from time to time, but we're going to narrow down this list to super high-end athletes. And now we're going to use our scouting prowess to take that list and try to figure out which of the ones remaining are going to be the ones that are going to turn into high-end players. The idea of marrying analytics and scouting is a phenomenal idea. It, it doesn't always work, but and it hasn't worked a lot of times, unfortunately, for Green Bay, but I do love the idea. So that has been their philosophy. And that's how you get a lot of these high-end athletes and that they're trying to bring in and develop. And the idea, of course, and the overall draft and develop philosophy 
is that you draft players that are balls of clay, that are insanely athletic, that maybe come from programs like the University of Georgia, so they have a football background, and you bring them in, you give them into your coaching staff who can mold these players, you give them into your strength and conditioning staff who makes them even into better athletes, and they become professional players, and now you can take all that raw talent and turn them into superstar players. Rashawn Gary, 1A example of this, blue chip prospect, high-end athleticism, insane work ethic. You give him over to an NFL coaching staff. It takes a rookie year to just sort of redshirt and, and have a few snaps here and there. His second year, he becomes the number three edge rusher, starts to make an impact. And then his third year, by the end of his third year, he was turning it on and becoming an incredible impact player. And then his fourth year, he was the best player on the Packers defense. That is the type of draft and develop projection that you are hoping to see within an organization that really has a draft and develop philosophy the way that the Packers have. Within that, they're not trying to trade a bunch of players uh, picks for players. They want to keep their draft picks so that they have more bites at the apple, more more swings to hopefully hit more home runs. Like those are all of the things that they're trying to do within this draft and develop philosophy. So that's the idea behind it. The issue is that really since the new CBA and really with the state of the league today, this is not a NFL coaching league and development league that you are hopeful or can have belief in that they're going to take and nurture these players the way that at one time it was simply because you had a little bit more practice time in training camp, in the off season, during the season, etc. You may start noticing that there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Now, why call this water liquid death? Well, mostly because it's going to brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. I have a can of liquid death right here and I'm able to open and take a drink from that. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it looks just like water. One thing that I actually like to do is have people that don't know it's water. So you just give them one and they think they're getting a beer and all of a sudden it's actually better for them. It's a nice given thing of water. They're help. You can drink it at 9am. You can drink it at school. You can drink it at, drink it in public, do whatever you want with this little bottle of goodness right here. Go get your liquid death today at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or just find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And more importantly, the NFL has gotten to the point, and it's not like it wasn't this way 15, 20 years ago, but like you have to win now. Like almost everyone. If you're a good team, the pressure is on you to win now. If you're a bad team, you only have a couple years where if you don't prove yourself, like you're going to get fired. So the the pressure for all of these coaches is to win now. And there is only a finite amount of time that you have as a coach to make your team a successful program. And there is so much incredible information that goes into the scouting reports and into your scheme, into learning Aaron Rodgers nuances of the offense, what Matt LaFleur wants you to do on defense. Like you're, you're learning all of the, the, the things that you're doing from a game planning standpoint for a given opponent. You're, you're just trying to be like understanding of all the things that your coach needs you to do to win a football game this week. Coaches don't have much more time in a week other than to get you ready for the Dallas Cowboys this week. Like that's the focus. If you think all of these coaches are just spending a ton of time each week being like, man, you know what? Sean Ryan, third round pick. We just got to get this guy better so that in 2025, he can be a really good guard. There's no chance. Like this is the offensive line coach is focused on getting the best five guys on the field and making sure that those five starters know all the checks, know all the blitz pickups, know all of it so that they're ready to go against Micah Parsons and company with the Dallas Cowboys. They're not developing Sean Ryan or, you know, Rashid Walker this week. They're getting ready for the Dallas freaking Cowboys uh, on a primetime, you know, the game of the week on on Fox on, on Sunday this week, trying to win a football game. So you don't have the same league that you once had that has all this practice time. They're focused on scheme and winning and making sure that you're ready for your opponent on any given week. So how then as a a young player who's drafted that has all this raw athletic talent, but isn't quite a great football player yet, how do you get better? The truth is how you get better is you get reps. And how do you get reps in today's NFL? You know how you get reps? You're good at football. And what I mean by this and what my overarching thought is, is it's great that you want to draft these super athletic players that maybe aren't, you know, fully finished products yet, that you're going to bring them in and mold them and develop them. But that level of molding and development isn't what it once was. The best way for these players to learn is to get onto the field. And the best way to get on the field is if you're already a good football player, meaning that some of these players who need to develop and need time and, you know, just need a little bit of seasoning, they're not getting on the field to get the reps that they need because they're not ready yet. 
and you have this dog chasing its tail of like, well, we got a really good, you know, athlete who needs more training, but we can't get more training because we got to win and we can't win because we don't have good players that we developed. And again, you just end up being this dog that is constantly chasing its tail. Does that sound a little bit familiar with a Green Bay team that's constantly chasing a Super Bowl and is maybe one or two players short? So Mike Wall has said on numerous occasions that this is now a league where if you're a player who wants to be great, you have to do it on your own. As a GM, are you banking your philosophy and your program, your football team, on the idea that if we want to be good, we need it that these players that are super raw athletes are going to go and learn the game to an extreme extent on their own, that we're paying millions of dollars to as 21, 22-year-old kids, and like in order to get good, they've got to do homework? That's not probably the smartest way to go about things. So that is an issue. And what I would say here too is I'm not saying that, you know, you can't draft athletes and I'm not saying that, you know, players can't get better over time. That That's clearly not the case. But what I will say is the players that come in and are ready to go from day one, look at your Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs, almost day one of rookie minicamps, OTAs, training camps, you could tell he was a dude. Zach Tom, undersized, but you could tell he understood the game. He has the ability to be a dude. Kingsley and Igbari, he was productive in college, not the greatest you know, overall athlete, but extremely productive in college. And you could tell coming in, needed to put on functional strength, but you could tell he was a dude. Those were picks that I, you know, they were probably going to be able to get on the field sooner rather than later. And if they could, they're going to be able to develop. And now you've got players that can play now, are getting the reps that they need. And if I had to guess, I think if we look at it in the next couple of years, Enigbare, Tom, Dobbs are all going to be very successful players because they were able to get on the field right away, get the reps that they needed, and were able to be successful. On the flip side, a player like Sean Ryan, I'm not yeah, I'm not saying Sean Ryan's going to be a complete bust or anything like that. He has the ability to get better. But if I were a betting man right now, I would say Sean Ryan probably is a bust because we just don't see players get better in the NFL. They're either good, at least showing signs of being good right away or good right away, and or they don't and they just really never develop into players. And my my point here being is you you don't need necessarily in today's NFL these superhuman athletes that aren't quite ready to be amazing football players yet, you need really good football players. And I think there are some examples of this, some, you know, kind of quote unquote missed opportunities. I think you look, the, the biggest one, the most obvious one is Josh Myers over Creed Humphrey. Josh Myers, I, many people are going to disagree with me on this. And Creed, Creed Humphrey had a ridiculous athletic score, by the way. But Humphrey, uh, excuse me, Myers is a little bit bigger of a player. And I, I can understand. And I would, I believed at the time, if you said both players reached their ceiling, I thought Josh Myers actually had a little bit of a bigger ceiling. I know many, many people would disagree with me. And I'm not saying Creed Humphrey didn't have a high ceiling because he had an insanely high ceiling as well. But I thought both of those players had incredibly high ceilings. And meanwhile, Myers was a little bit more bigger, more physical player. So I can see why Green Bay wanted to go maybe with Myers in that situation. But the truth of the matter was that Creed Humphrey was one of the most surest, easiest players to evaluate in that entire draft and was going to be a plug and play player from day one who also happened to have incredible upside. Maybe not quite as much as Josh Myers because Myers was a little bit bigger, but 
had leverage, had athleticism, knew how to play the game, and he was going to be a player that was going to come in and help you from day one. He's Pro Football Focus's highest rated center right now. This is not hindsight 2020 draft redo. This is like everyone wanted Creed Humphrey at the time, and Green Bay went with Josh Myers ahead of him. If they just grab the, the player that's better at football right now, they end up with Creed Humphrey rather than Josh Myers. I could make the same argument for Devin Lloyd versus Quay Walker. I think there's a very strong chance that Walker ends up as the better player in a couple years, maybe slightly. But Devin Lloyd was ready to play right away. He's been really good so far in Jacksonville. He can fly to the football and he was just a more ready player because he had so many snaps accumulated at college and was more of a plug and play player from day one. That's not to say again that Quay might not be better in a couple years, but you probably end up with a better inside linebacker now, somebody who can immediately get those reps and probably still gets better as time goes along. And I want to walk you through the Packers draft picks since Brian Gutekunst has come uh, to the team in 2018. Jair Alexander, better from year one until now, but you knew he was a stud right away. No question about it. Like that was a draft and develop pick, but he was ready to plug and play from day one. Josh Jackson, never developed. Oren Burks, Jamon Moore, Cole Madison, J.K. Scott, Equinemius St. Brown, James Looney, Hunter Bradley, Kendall Donerson, never developed. The only one that had some development along the way was MVS, and he got better from year one to now, but how much better? He was a deep threat that was inconsistent who had the ability to take the top off of a defense, not much nuance to the rest of his game, and would drop passes from time to time. That was him as a rookie. That's him today. He got better, but not to the point of like he went from inexperienced rookie to all pro player or pro bowl player. He got slightly better from the beginning of his career up until now. And again, he showed some of those signs immediately. But I would argue Jair Alexander, the only one in that class that really got better over time, and he was good from day one. Rashawn Gary, we talked about, is the poster child for what you want in a draft and develop player, but Savage has not gotten better. Jenkins was good from day one. Sternberger didn't. Kiki didn't. Hallman didn't. Dexter Williams didn't. Ty Summers didn't. All right, how about the next year? Uh, Jordan Love is the complete unknown, but at, at minimum, it's not like he went from you know, a rookie where he, he's gotten better. I don't think there's any question about that, but it's not like he's now a, a top 10 quarterback in the league or something crazy. He's a complete unknown still at this point in his career. Dylan hasn't gotten better from his rookie year. In fact, he might've gotten worse if you're looking at him this year. Josiah DeGuara, maybe slightly better this season. Kamal Martin flamed out. John Runyon Jr., a little bit better. Um, and, and he certainly showed signs in year two more than year one. So that's a slight win there. Jake Hansen, better, but to what extent? Simon Stepaniak didn't work out. Vernon Scott didn't get better. Jonathan Garvin hasn't gotten better. Stokes, so far, has gotten worse from year one to year two. Myers has gotten worse year one to year two. Amari Rogers hasn't taken a step. Royce Newman's gotten worse. TJ Slayton's taken a slight step, but not good enough. Shamar John Charles, slight step, not good enough. Cole Van Landen got traded. Isaiah McDuffie, slight step, but he's still a backup linebacker. Kylan Hill got hurt. So, and then, of course, we have this year's draft, which will be an unknown uh, until we see what happens in the future. But we have not seen progression from these young players that would lead you to believe that this is a sustainable philosophy from here on out for the Packers. So some missed opportunities along the way. And 
it, again, it's not to say that this is the, that if you go in the opposite direction, it's perfect either. And when Green Bay's actually gotten away from you know taking players that are high end athletes that and are just like supposed to be good football players, the two examples of that that they did were both third round picks, Jay Sternberger and Amari Rogers, and both so well Sternberger turned out terribly, and so far Amari Rogers has turned out terribly. So it's not like you can just say, all right, let's turn off the athleticism meter and just try to draft good players. Because even when they did that with Sternberger and Amari Rogers, it's not like it turned out great. The other buyer beware here is that if you were, if you could make the argument, right, with the Rashawn Gary pick, if they were to make, you know, just draft the best football player that was ready to be the best football player at the same position at that time, they'd probably draft Brian Burns. And that would have been a great pick, right? I think the argument here is that Brian Burns would have been better in his first year, would have been better in his second year, and then him and Rashawn Gary were probably very similar uh, talent-wise in their third year, and then by year four, Rashawn Gary was the better player. Not by a ton, but I think if we, if most people could choose between a healthy Rashawn Gary and a healthy Brian Burns, they would probably choose right now a healthy Rashawn Gary. You can just do a little bit more for you. It's not by much, but you could end up with a long-term worse player that is going to get you a little bit more of a short-term gain. So there's some buyer beware there as well. If you go with this philosophy, you might lose out on a guy like a Rashawn Gary who ended up being very good. But the point being is if we go back to those two players who were drafted for Green Bay that actually got better, Jair Alexander and Rashawn Gary, what did those two players have in common? Oh, I don't know. They were top 20 picks. Those players are supposed to turn out anyway. If you're drafting in the top 18, you better get those picks right. And Green Bay did, kudos to them, but you don't get a bunch of credit for like draft and develop for Gary and Jair. You're picking in the top 18. You better be able to get good players that are going to help your franchise. So I'm not saying you shouldn't draft athletes. I'm not saying you can't develop players or that players can't ultimately get better. I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for draft and develop because if you're a bad football team and you've got a few years to get better, draft and develop might work for you a little bit more. You might have a little bit more time and leeway. I'm not saying you can't change your philosophy. I guess I should say, I'm not saying that you can just ultimately change your philosophy and be like, you know what we should do? We should just draft good football players because yeah, of course, everyone wants good football players. And you do need to be careful that you don't just go out in the exact opposite direction and say, hey, let's be the Patriots and let's just get good football players that are going to help us now. And and we end up with a bunch of mediocre, you know, solid players rather than players who don't ever have any upside at all. But this idea that you can just draft super athletes and turn them in to good football players over time with coaching and development is becoming harder and harder in today's NFL landscape. So there's no perfect philosophy and I I don't have an answer. I can't point you to a philosophy that I think is like, "Here's, here's what Green Bay should do. There's a lot of different options, but I do think the ultimate answer, or at least my ultimate point here is that Green Bay, it is time to reevaluate their philosophy. Because if you look at the return on investment that they've got from all of these high-end athletes, the big hits of Jair Alexander and Rashawn Gary are amazing, but the overall ROI on these high-end super athletes that needed time to develop has just not been good enough. And Green Bay is going to have to go and reevaluate their process and see, is there a better way that we can focus more on which players are ready to play, still have developmental upside, but can be plug and play players 
who can get those reps, who can hopefully get better by getting the game reps because they were ready to go from day one and can get better over time. Creed Humphrey being a phenomenal example of that. That's going to do it for me today. Always appreciate you joining me. I'll be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.